All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Can you see it? Did you The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, it arms leaves the pool. To the line, Hughes, scores! In this existence, take you to the First career NHL goal, Quinn Hughes makes it 1 nothing. Here, like I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down Day. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores. Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go.
Hello Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My name is Chris Faber and thank you so much for joining us this week for episode 132 of the Canucks Conversation presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. I don't know when they're dropping, I should probably look into this a little bit more, but that Series 2 rookie card of Oleo Levy, we thought that was going to be the primetime card, but it might be Jalen Chatfield quads. How you doing over there, David Quadrelli? I'm doing fantastic. Does Jalen Chatfield have a card in Series 2? You know what? I was wondering. I'm like, I don't think we saw one last year, right? Like, we would have noticed a no. Jalen Chatfield rookie card. Yes, absolutely. Um, so he gets a card in Series 2 then, for sure. Okay, so here's the thing. Upper Deck Series 2, now available for pre-order on that's Zephyr right. Epic. You can go there, and you can use promo code Hockey Season. That's ours. Capital H, capital S, all one word. Hockey Season. You use that one, you get $5 off your order. Go pre-order yourself some Upper Deck Series 2 cards, because Chris and I are going to be ripping them, aren't we, Chris? Oh, dude, yeah, Young Gun Season, because like we got the Mikey DiPietro cards out of the Series 1, which we're stoked about, obviously, that's a sick rookie card to get, but yeah, those Yolevi cards, those Chatfield cards, and the big one's going to be the Huglander card, right? Like, when you get that rookie Niels Huglander card, like, you know, it's not to the level of a Quinn Hughes or Elias Pedersen, but man, when one of us rips that Huglander card, and we will... Because the great folks at Zephyr Epic are hopefully going to hook us up here pretty soon. Uh, and uh, when we get that Huglander card, man, that's that one's going straight in the case. That one's staying. That one I'm keeping for sure. That's going to be an awesome rookie card. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm looking it up, Chris. I don't see anything for Jalen Chatfield on Upper Deck okay. Series 2. I so don't see three, anything then. yet. Like, there could be three Young Gun cards in Series 2. So Series 2 for Canucks fans, that's going to be the box. But, all right, let's 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 move on from it. I mean, Zephyr doesn't pay us enough to do a two-minute ad for them off the top <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> but uh, let, let's dive into it. Three-game sweep of the Ottawa Senators here for the Vancouver Canucks. You and I were both in attendance for a game. How cool was that to be able to see the games? But uh, let, let's talk about the series as a whole right now. The Canucks absolutely shellacked them. 7-1, 5-1, 4-1. Big wins for all of them. Outshot a lot in that series, though. I wonder if that's any case of concern for you. But let's just look at it as a three-game set. We called it on the show. They needed to go out and win all three of these games. I don't think they should have been satisfied with two wins, but they got all three quads. What did you take away from this past three games? I took away that they started to play defense. And the goalies, like, every, you know, the goalies were saying, like, oh, yeah, we played a lot better, but... The goalies basically just played the same way that they did before. I think the team in front of them just started playing defense. Except, you know what? That game with Demko where he made those 24 saves in the first period, that was like that was what the Canucks defense looked like before and Demko was just bailing them out. But I think, you know, for the most part, I think there was this again, the centermen came back more. You just you saw more buy-in on team defense, right? And I think that's what they needed and like I said last week, like Kevin Woodley came on the show and talked about it just it's easier to get that buy-in for a three-game stretch, which is why they almost beat Vegas in the playoffs. But getting it over a full season, not easy. And I think it's even less easy when you have so many new, so much new personnel, which I think the Canucks have dealt with. I think Nate Schmidt's starting to get a lot more comfortable. I think he's been the most vocal, no surprise there. He's been the most vocal about how it's been a little bit tough to learn the new systems. And I think with just kind of how everybody has been able to mesh and start to, you know, they've had two practices now. I know that it's a compact season, so practices are going to be few and far between, but I think the guys are starting to look just a little more comfortable out there. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point because I think Travis Green touched on something very similar to that in a post game or maybe it was a pregame where he was talking about the importance of actually getting practice and he mentioned a guy you know like Tyler Myers or Jalen Chatfield these defensemen who might only touch the puck for like 30 seconds. They might have the puck for 30 seconds on their stick a whole game. And he said just getting into practice and getting the feel for the puck is so important for them, specifically at the start of the season when you're really starting to crank things up. And and it's going to be so weird to get into a routine for these teams in this certain schedule that we're looking at. I think a couple of practices really helped them out. It also helped out that they were playing potentially the worst team in the NHL in the Ottawa Senators. Like, don't get me wrong. It's great the Canucks won three games, but that's a really bad team. Over there. That's a team that I like. I know a lot of those names from the Belleville Senators playing the Utica Comets last year. Like, that's that's not a good team. They don't really have like that veteran leadership to help some of those young guys that are young and talented, like a Brady Kachuk, you know, like a Thomas Shabbat. We saw him score a nice goal, but that team just that team's missing a lot if you look at what the Senators had for the last three games here. Yes. They like when you ask what a takeaway from the series was, like, one of the first things that come to mind is, like, wow, Ottawa is, like, like, you know, when, when they played against Toronto, you almost had a thought that, hey, maybe they can, they can maybe win a couple games. They, they took Toronto, maybe they could win a few games, but that does not appear to be the case, because holy smokes, they looked bad. Like, it was a sloppy game, man. When we were watching that first game, it was just so, so sloppy from both ends for the first period. And I think Ottawa, in that first game, you kind of thought for maybe a second, like, wow, this reminds me of a Travis Green team of years past where they're they're not great with the personnel they have, but they're tough to play against and they're, they're going to give you a fight. That's what it looked like in the first game to me. But then games two and three, that was just not the case. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the Canucks came out and played a lot better. Uh, A lot of, like you mentioned, the goaltenders, let's touch on that for a little bit because I know you want to, but the Canucks give up a ton of shots over these three games against the Ottawa Senators, but really, like, not a lot of dangerous shots, not a lot of scoring chances. They finally held a team under 30 scoring chances in a game against the Senators, and I just, I don't know, like, it felt to me, like, watching the pace of play, like, for pretty much the full three-game set, like, the thought didn't even creep into my mind at one point that, like, oh, the Senators might be able to squeak out this game. Like, it felt like from start to finish for 180 minutes of hockey, the Canucks were going to win all three of those games. And by a lot. Like, I, I don't know about you. We have a new betting segment, which we could quickly touch on. We're going to be, uh, thanks to our friends at oddshark.com, we're going to be having a betting segment on each show. Once a month, that segment is going to be 10 to 15 minutes long with our friend from Odd Shark, Ian, who Chris had a conversation with. It'll be at the end of the episode. We're going to finish each episode with a betting segment. So if you have kids or you don't want to hear us uh, talk about our degenerate gambling uh, habits, you can just shut off the show at that point. But I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I bet the spread every time the Canucks played this week and they covered it each game. Like, they they were dominant and, like... Remember what I said like two weeks ago, Chris, I said to you, if the Canucks want to turn this around and, you know, Jim Benning's off the hot seat or whatever, right? For that to happen after the abysmal start they had against Montreal and just a horrible start to the season, I said they had to win at least two of these games in commanding fashion, not squeak it out. They had to win in commanding fashion. Well, how about three? Now they're back to 500, and yes, they're not going to be playing Ottawa uh, till mid-March, so that's going to be tough. And yes, a lot of their opponents in the division are going to be able to feast off Ottawa and get some points against them. But man, like, 
I don't know how you can look at the past week and have any critiques of the team, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that I think the Canucks went out there and did what they needed to do. They went out and you know beat the Senators handedly. That was what they needed to do in the series if they wanted. Like they didn't need to do that for their season, but if they wanted to get things back on track ten games into the year, they needed all three of those games and give them props where it's deserved. Like they went out and did that. They they shellacked that team. Like it wasn't close in that series at all. But now you go on a six game road trip to back it up, which includes a big matchup against the Toronto Maple Leafs to wrap things up three game series in Toronto that's going to be a huge test for the Canucks but before that you got to play against a Montreal team that made the Canucks look like a pretty weak team in a three game series against them you're going to get your first taste of Winnipeg like this is just kind of getting you back to like point zero of not freaking out right like after you beat the Senators three games like yeah you beat the Senators three games you're five and five you're in kind of the middle spot of this division right now you know a 500 record gets you into the playoffs it seems like in this north division so now you're just kind of like a reset with 46 games to go rest in the rest of the season and it starts with a huge six game road trip now so it's it's not over the Canucks aren't a playoff team all of a sudden after beating the Ottawa Senators for three games in a row but if they're able to to build off some of the momentum that they're getting from that series, then absolutely. Like, if they can go out in this road trip, and honestly, like, I think I've said it quite a bit on the show, but if you go out on the road and you can take half the games, I think you're you're in a really good spot. Like, all the Canucks need to do here, I think, is get six points on this six-game road trip. Whether it comes from a couple overtime losses and a couple wins, or if it comes from three wins, like... That would be fine to me. I think if they get six points in the next six games, that's fine. Like I would be, I would be happy with that because then you return home and you take care of business, just like you did against the Ottawa Senators here. So, I, yeah, I need to see a little bit more from this team. I think that when you play against the harder competition is going to be really when you see what this team's all about. And over these next six games, that's when you're going to see it. Absolutely. And when they come back, they're going to have to play Calgary. And then, did you know, Chris, after the next ten games? Oh man, it's just it it it's it's gonna be crazy because they have how many games do they have? They have fifty six. So yeah, after the next ten games, they're gonna be eight eight games away from the halfway point in the season already. So it's like eighteen games away from the halfway point of the season, which is just absurd to think about because that's gonna happen in like March, April, and it's just it's it's gonna be over. You know what I mean? And it's like wow, it feels like we just started, but it's yeah, like time's ticking, right? And Every game matters so much with this compact schedule. And I think to sum it up best, I'll turn to Braden Holtby, who after the game last night said like, yes, this was a great reset. And he was kind of asked about the team, like, you know, what uh, are you guys confident in all this stuff? And he's like, yeah, this was a great reset for us, but it's not over. Like, yeah, we have to go out and we have to keep winning games because we can't we can't afford to get too low, which I think they did a great job of when they by all means could have they could have just um you know kind of mailed it in on the season and been like well we got off to such a bad start it's over right they could have absolutely if they have a low morale whatever right but you can't get too high either and I think that's what Holtby was really stressing last night and I think you know that's a sign of a good leader right like he Mm. he knows he's been there right like he knows you can't afford to get too high and you can't afford to get too low and I think that was just a really down-to-earth response that he gave last night like I I feel like that's the sentiment in that dressing room and I think that's exactly what it should be like I think that's coming straight from Travis Green right like Travis Green we know is really good at keeping his teams grounded and I think just like maybe giving them 
a pat on the back, but also being like, okay, like we know that's not a strong team. So make sure you guys are ready to go. We need to keep doing this all season and we've got a hell of a road trip coming up. Right. And like, yes, the schedule hasn't been favorable for the Canucks with this road trip. The first road trip they have being the longest of the season. Like it's not easy for them, but you know, everybody's going to have to go through it at some point. And yeah, it sucks that it was at the start of the year without any preseason games. I think that's partly why the Canucks were so slow out of the gate, but I think, I think they'll be able to, you know, kind of hit reset after this series and just kind of keep this momentum going. Like the lotto line looks good again. And Chris, surprisingly, the bottom six has looked pretty good. So I'm just trying to imagine what this team looks like if the top six is performing even half as good as it was last year, and then the bottom six is performing like they have through the first eight games of the season. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think that that bottom six, if they're able to continue to score at the pace that they're at, which they won't. I mean, that's a ridiculous pace that they're scoring. Yeah, Brandon they Sutter's won't. not going to have another hat trick this year. Tyler Mott, I don't know how many more two-goal ga- two games he has in him, but like if you're just able to get a little bit of contribution from those guys, and you know what? It doesn't even have to be those guys. Like you have a lot of other options who can bring you goals in the bottom six, whether it's Antoine yep. Roussel or Jake for 10, like there are guys in the bottom six that can contribute offensively and you can't just rely on Brandon Sutter and Tyler Mott, though they've been excellent uh, in the first 10 games. Like you got to give them props. Like they're, you know, Brandon Sutter's overpaid and, but like he's playing well, like he's playing almost up to what he's worth at this point, which is crazy to say. And, you know, that you have to give them props to the bottom six for that. But to me, I'm just, I don't know. Like, I think there's, there's still something off about the lotto line to me. I just, I don't know exactly like where to pinpoint it, but they're getting their goals. I think like they are getting their goals. They're also shooting at a ridiculously high shooting percentage with them on the ice. Like it's, it's something, it's something super high with that group. Yeah. 21.4% shooting percentage with them on the ice right now. That's, that's down to regress. And we've already seen that line not be exactly what everyone has hoped for at this point throughout the season. Or sorry, that was for the last three games. So in the past three games against the Sens, it was 21%. But I just thought, like, I didn't see a lot of the lotto line. Like, I saw certain shifts, like one or two a game where you saw the lotto line do what they looked like last season. But at the same time, of the three goals that the Canucks gave up against the Ottawa Senators in this series, two of those goals came against the lotto line at 5-on-5. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I don't know, Chris. Like it just felt like it felt like the Senators' players that they were going up against. Like you should be able to dominate those guys. You look at some of those lines that yeah. were going up against the Lotto line, and the fact that they were able to almost you know score as much as the Lotto line did at five on five. Like I don't, it just something felt off. Like I, I'll be yeah. honest. Like the the one that feels off to me is JT Miller, and it's not because of the the, the f bombs that we're hearing on the air or anything. It just seems like. Like, his passes are just a foot off, or maybe he's just not quite getting the battles and winning the battles. Like, he had, like, it, I don't know. We heard all these things about JT Miller before he came here about the problems that he might have had in in the like in the Rangers organization, and then to a certain extent if he wasn't playing with Stamkos in Tampa Bay. And I don't think we're seeing that at this point because he's still in a great spot with this group. He's playing with Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson. Like, what's a better spot to be on on the Vancouver Canucks roster? But it just feels like... I, I don't know, like, it just feels like something's off about JT Miller. Am I crazy saying that? I think you're not crazy saying it four nights ago, but I think you're... Dude, like, the guy's got nine points in seven games. Like, the point production's there, right? Like, he's on pace to match his point totals uh, per game, obviously, 56-game season. But, like, 
I I I I don't want to say you're reaching, but I want to say I think we've seen a different JT Miller over these past two games than we have before. Like he looks a lot more confident, and it looks like the puck's starting to go his way. And yeah, like he even said, I, I'm sure you're on the Zoom call and you heard this, but. He even said at the start of the season for like the first three or four games, his legs were seizing up like halfway through because he had to go into another quarantine right after training camp. His body wasn't ready for the season. So there's a feeling out process, but for the guy to still have nine points and now Elias Pettersson's starting to get going, like I'm not worried about the lotto line. I'm kind of with Travis here. And you know, every time Travis gets asked about the lotto line this season, he's just said he's not yeah, worried. And I no, think I got to cut in here, Quads, because think about, the competition that they just went against. And you're going to say you're not worried about the lotto line after what they just did against the Senators. But, like, look at what they did in the seven games prior to that against teams that actually had lines that could match up against them. Okay, but, you know, one of those goals was Shabbat blowing past Hughes. That has nothing to do with the forwards on the ice. Like, that was just a lucky goal. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's on Hughes. That's not the... So take that one down. Now you're at two. I don't even know what the other two were, so I can't list them off the top of my head. But, man, like... I'm just, I I get it. Like, I absolutely get what you're saying. They need to control play. That's what we've come to expect from this line. That's what fans should expect from this line. But to say that, like, like honestly, like, I, I, I straight up am not worried about them. Like, I, I thought it was crazy when Travis was saying, no, I'm not worried about them at all. No, I'm not worried about them at all. When they're, when they were playing so poorly and not generating anything and getting hemmed in their own end, he's saying, I'm not worried about them. I'm not worried about them. Now it's starting to make sense. Like, I, I, I don't think there's much reason to be concerned about the lotto line at this point. Like, Elias Pettersson looks like he's heating up. Brock Bester's been firing since the start of the season. Like, he's healthy. He looks confident. And again, there's another guy who said, you know, I'm finally healthy. Like, that back injury was causing him a lot of grief. And a lot of people didn't really know that. And now he's gone public with it, which is great. Because he's kind of said, like, I'm finally healthy. And I think you're starting to see the early returns of that. Like, that goal last night. That's just, you You just don't see that from Brock Besser last year. That goal against Murray where he is in the bumper position on the power play and he comes out in front and wires it. Like, that's just, that's confidence for Besser. And we've seen a few goals this season where he's shown so much confidence that you're just like, okay, like, maybe this guy is actually back because, you know, people were calling him the slow instead of the flow and all this other, this other stuff about how he's not performing, blah, blah, blah. Now it looks like he is. And... Now you're adding JT Miller, whose legs are no longer seizing up, and you've got Elias Pettersson hot. Like, honestly, I'm just, I am not worried about the lotto line going forward here. Yeah, I think that, I wouldn't say that I'm worried about it, but I think I have such a high level of expectation for that line after what they were able to do last year in their first year playing together that I was hoping that they were going to be able to build off that. I thought that, like, we had conversations last year about that being the best line in hockey, I wanted to have that conversation start at the start of the year with this line because they were coming back again. And obviously the three games that JT Miller missed throw a huge wrench into the situation. He doesn't yep. get to start playing with the team. The team starts losing. So there's not a lot of, a, you know, not a lot of confidence in the group when they're on the ice, but now going into this, like this next six game sample size on this road trip, like you should expect this line to be the driving force of the Vancouver Canucks. That's all I'm saying. Like, Right now, they aren't. Like, they're great on the power play. I think they're doing a fine job of, of finding things. They did a good job against that Senators PK, which is horrible. But, like, that group, I just think that you should ask a lot of them. You got one of the best players in the world 
playing yep. with a guy who he's developed chemistry with in Brock Besser over a couple of years. You got JT Miller who's came in and looked excellent as a pairing with Elias Pettersson at times. I just feel like, you know, the expectation should be high. And I, I don't want to say that, like, I'm I'm mad at them or anything. I'm not, like, disappointed in the group. <laughs> I just think that, like, I I my expectation of what that line can do, because I know what they can do, at this point, if the Canucks want to be a team that actually wants to make a playoff run, like, the lotto line needs to play like the lotto line instead of playing like Elias Pettersson with Brock Besser and JT Miller. Yep, very fair. I think you're, honestly, like, I, I definitely don't disagree with that at all. Like, I think you're absolutely right. For this team to have success, first of all, they need their goaltenders to be good. That that much is very clear. Um, even better than good. But they also need that lotto line to be firing on all cylinders. And it, it's interesting because when we watch, like, I don't know if you noticed this, but Elias Pettersson looks way more physically involved over these last three games than he did to start the season. And I feel like he was falling less and just, he looked all around better. Like he looked better away from the puck. He looked obviously better with the puck. Uh, And I think he was just starting to find more chances. And he was, you know, like there was the, obviously there was the play where he blew up Dadanov in the corner and that got the entire bench pretty, uh, pretty loud. But you know, just like little things, right? Like he's going hard into board battles. And like, I don't want to say he wasn't to start the season, but he wasn't coming away with the puck in those board battles, right? Like that was Nils Hoglander's job. It seemed like right. uh, just to go into every board battle and win the puck out. Um, but yeah, like uh, to, to go back to what we were talking about there, like I'm not worried about the lotto line and I think they're going to return to being that big play driver for the Canucks. Um, like, honestly, I think they've, they're just finding their footing now and yeah, it sucks. It took so long, but you can't cry over spilled milk. You know what I mean? Like, I think this line is going to be one of the best lines in hockey, uh, once they really start to get going here. And I think we're starting to see the early returns of that. Yeah. I think it's, it's still early in the season and yeah, there is a lot of chances for them to get back. It's just, you know, you, you look at a lot of these numbers. I look at a lot of analytics and just seeing that they're not able to do a lot of similar things to last year. The fact that they have 20 scoring chances per 60 minutes compared to last year when they had 30 per 60 minutes. I mean, that's a huge difference. And they're not playing like they were last year at this point. I think they potentially started to turn a corner when you saw what they did against the Senators. But like I said, like what line on the Senators is going to stop the lotto line? Like what line would their coach be like, oh, this is the, the trio that I'm going to put up against their top line to slow them down? Like, there's nothing on the Senators that could slow down the lotto line. There shouldn't be anything that could slow down the lotto line. They should be going off. They scored three goals as a line in this series. You feel like they could have done more. Like, just watching the pace of play, that's the only thing I'm saying. It just They're not exactly like I was hoping that they would be coming back to. And maybe that's just the early season and feeling stuff out. Like, I, I'm not worried about them. I would just, I would worry a little bit about if they're going to be better than what they were last year, I think. That's the way I would say it. Yep, very fair. Very, very fair. I agree with it. But, okay, I know you're hosting, but I really want to talk about Quinn Hughes. Because, holy smokes, man. Like, this guy's in... This guy's, like, near the top of the league in points. And he's a defenseman. And, obviously, he's leading all defensemen in points. That much you probably could have guessed. But, man, like, right now, Quinn Hughes is in second place in points. Well, I guess, no. I guess now he's, like, third. Because I think McDavid put up four points last night or three. But... Again, he's like, when you look at the leading point getters, it's all forwards, and then it's Quinn Hughes right there. Like, he has more points than Brad Marchand, Mark Shifley, Nick Backstrom. Like, he's putting up a ton of points. And for a guy who we were talking about, like, last week as being someone who just didn't look the same, Chris, like, is it safe to say Quinn Hughes is back? 
it's crazy how quietly Quinn Hughes is putting up points. It's you know, it's yes. something that he's kind of done throughout his career. I think uh, the numbers came out because he just played like his 82nd game. And I think he had 65 points in his first 82 games of his career. So the first full season sample size that you would see if Quinn Hughes was healthy for a full season was 65 points from defenseman. That's crazy for a guy to do who just turned, what, 20 years old now? I mean, like, this this player that they have here at Vancouver and Quinn Hughes is... It's something special. It's something that we've never really seen in a Canucks jersey before from a defenseman. And, yeah, he's got a lot of secondary assists. But, like, his secondary assists, I think, mean something because he's just such a good passer and and good general of looking at the play and seeing how it's going to develop that, like, I just i am I'm so impressed every single night to see this guy do something. And I, I do feel like there's another gear to Quinn Hughes as well. Like, not to say the similar spot to my lotto line take, but, like, there's there's still more to get from Quinn Hughes. He's playing with Jordy Ben, you know, like there's there's not like a like Jordy Ben's been good, I think, as his, as his partner. But yes. could you imagine Quinn Hughes with like the perfect partner, like what he would be looking like with a guy who is so solid in his defensive zone, but can also make a quick pass and understands the way that Quinn Hughes is going to play. Like maybe it is Jordy Ben. Maybe Jordy Ben seems to work like Jordy Ben's a lot better on his right side. I've really liked that pairing so far. I've, I've found it interesting and we'll get to the pairings and talk about the defense a little bit more uh, in the second half of this episode. But that pairing we can stick on for a second here. Like really impressed with Jordy Ben on the right side. That's what everybody said. All the analytic folks said Jordy Ben should play on his right side. The people in Montreal, they said he's got to play on his right side. He's much better. And man, he's, he's really fit in with Quinn Hughes so far as a partner, I think. And I think that's helped Hughes just kind of think like when Quinn Hughes sees who he's playing with, he's got to know that he's the primary guy who's going to drive the puck up the ice from the defense side. And I think having that mindset is exactly what you want to get from Quinn Hughes because he's able to do it so much. And, and that creates a lot of offense. And yeah, he's, he's been excellent so far this year, man. Like, you know, he's, he's one of the best defensemen in the league right now. It's, it's incredible to see. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. Cause like, has the Canucks ever had a player that won the Norris trophy? No, they've never had a Norris trophy winner. Hughes is going to win one, like for sure, right? It, it it's almost inevitable at this point, and he yeah. like he's only twenty, and he's putting up points like this, and we're even saying like, oh well, he, he doesn't look like himself. So like, if this is considered a slow start for Hughes, what does it look like when he's playing how we saw last year? Like, is he just going to lead the league in points as a defenseman? Like, what the heck, man? It's it it's it's crazy. Like, I think we're not we haven't really seen anything anything like this in the past from a Canucks defenseman for sure. Like, yes, I know Morgan Riley, um, John Carlson have all had like really hot starts like this where they've been near the top of the league in points. But I think like Hughes has just been so impressive. And I think kind of knowing what he did last year and everything, it's just, it makes it even that much more impressive kind of knowing that he's only going to get better. And I don't know, like, who, who do you think, and, you know, I, I know this is kind of a curveball for you, who do you think is the perfect partner for Quinn Hughes? Man, I, yeah, I don't know if anybody on this Canucks team is. Like, I, I know that Nate Schmidt and Quinn Hughes would work together if they had some time to play together yeah. and stuff. But, like, right now it's Jordy Ben. Like, it, it has to be Jordy Ben. I don't think, like, there's a lot of offense that gets made when Tyler Myers is on the ice. And I do think that that still might work. Like, I still do like the idea that just because of, Seeing Quinn Hughes' defensive game, like, his stick work this year on the defensive side of the puck is is so much better. Like, it looks so much better than it was last year. And I think that, you know, we're seeing that with him able to retrieve the puck in his own zone, defend against these big guys. It's just, he's so much better with the stick than he was last year. And 
you know, having him on that power play and trying to get that power play going, like, he's got 11 points in 10 games, and the power play doesn't even feel like it's really clicking at 100% yet. You know, and the 5-on-5 play where he plays so much of it with the lotto line, that's not really clicking at 100% yet. And still, Quinn Hughes is sitting at 11 points in 10 games. Like, there's there's a lot of good things to look at this lineup, and they're all the young guys, right? Like, you know, like, looking at this roster as a whole, it doesn't feel like a team that really should be a real good playoff, like, a strong playoff team. But when you see these young guys playing at 100%, I think that's what I'm just trying to get at here is, like, this team doesn't have the roster to win a Stanley Cup, but man, do they ever have the young players to go out there and win you a Stanley Cup in the next few years. And you're starting to see that, I think, in the early stage of these guys' careers. And that might be why I get so excited about some of these players, because, like, man, look at the rest of the league and think of a a center and a defenseman that's as young and as good as Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, and you can't find it. Like, you can't find it around the NHL. Like, I know that you could look at Colorado and see what they have with the Kale McCarr and now Bowen Byram <laughs> looking so good, but like Colorado, like they're in another league. Like I feel like they're like the hockey version of the Monstars in Space Jam. Like they're they're a ridiculous team that's going to be yeah. absolutely dominant in this NHL for the next few. years. They're going to win a cup or two or three or four. Like like in the next few years, it's going to be ridiculous to see what they do. But man, like I can't think of a young pairing with a forward and a defenseman, specifically a center that's as good as Elias Pettersson and Queen Hughes. And I think that's why expectations are so high and should be so high because these two are two of the best players as a forward and a defenseman in the NHL. And you need to surround them with good players. You have at certain points, like you have this lotto line, which can be so good. There's a lot of reason to believe in these young kids. And and yeah, I just, I'm blown away from a lot of the play of these guys on the ice and, and to see some support coming from the bottom end of this lineup is, you know, gives you, a little bit of a positive outlook going into the rest of the season, but now you need to see what they do against that tough competition again over this next six games, because yeah, they did it against the senators, but man, it's, it's a different hockey game when you're playing against some real competition in, in your division. And yeah, I just, these next six games are going to be very telling as well. It's going to, it's, I feel like it's going to be like that as the whole season goes on though. Like the next six games are so important. The next four games are so important. This two game series is huge. Like, that's why I like. I really like this division. I like the way the schedule is going to go. So I don't know. I'm just excited. It's pretty great to see this young core doing so good so early. But they're still not at 100 percent for me. And I'm excited to see Quinn Hughes at 100 percent for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. All right, man. Well, uh, we'll wrap things up on the first half of the episode. I want to talk about defense pairings a little bit more. We haven't even touched on the Huglander Horvat line, so we'll do that on the other side. But uh, as you mentioned, Quads, we're going to close out this episode with a 13-minute conversation uh, with Ian McMillan from Odd Shark. So we'll hear that at the very end of the episode. But let's go to a quick ad break right now, and then we'll come back on the other side, talk about Huglander, and talk about the defense pairings. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for Epic Case Break openings follow them on twitter and instagram and facebook at zephyr epic z-e-p-h-y-r epic on all platforms do you ever have a long work day where you just forget to hit the liquor store on the way home and then you got no beer for your game well problem solved folks same day delivery now from the folks at parallel 49 beer that's right the p49 crew is here and available on uber eats 
All that brew directly to you with Uber Eats and Parallel 49's online store. Shop.Parallel49Brewing.com or check out more information on their Twitter and Instagram pages at Parallel49Beer. Oddshark.com is your home for sports odds, picks, betting, and futures. Speaking of futures, my big bet right now is taking Braden Holtby to win the Vesna. You've heard Chris and I talk about that if there's anybody that can get Holtby back, it's Ian Clark. So we bet, well, we, I say we, it was just me. I bet that Braden Holtby would win the Vesna. That's my big bet. Go make a play at Oddshark.com. All right, short and sweet one here for our friends at Mike's Hard Lemonade, the Blue Freeze. If you haven't tried it, folks, you need to get out and try the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. By far, my favorite alcoholic beverage on the market right now. If you're going to just enjoy a few drinks at a game or it's a Saturday night and you got a Zoom party with some of your friends, take yourself down to the BC Liquor Store which or your local liquor store, wherever you get drinks. Pick up some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, the best tastiest drink on the market right now and thank you very much to our sponsors quads i don't know how we went this far without talking about Niels huglander because he has just been impressive every single night um obviously the big one-handed slap superman pass that he made over to tanner pearson has been incredible but what what is it like i know that you you didn't watch a ton of his shl games this past year but uh, like, I, like, I've like i been blown away by a lot of it, too. So that's not even, like, a big thing to say. But what's the big thing that shocked you, I think, the most through 10 games with Niels Hoglander? Absolutely. His work ethic. His Well, I guess it's so many things. But, like, if I had to pick one, I'll say just his commitment to getting the puck. Like, he doesn't float. Do you remember, like, before he came over, we were talking about how sometimes he kind of floats, hey? And now he's not doing that. And it's just, like... Maybe it was because he was in the SHL, kind of like how Bowen Byram uh, just floated in the WHL because he knew he was too good for it. Like, did Nils Hoglander feel he was too good for the SHL and that's why he's all of a sudden so good with the Canucks? Because he's playing a bigger role. Like, he he's playing on the second line with the Canucks and he was only a third liner with Regla. And I think just, like, I wonder if that has anything to do with it because, men. His give-a-crap meter is, like, on full, and it never goes down. Like, it reminds me of watching Vasily Podkolzin, where he just is always trying his hardest. And it's just, like, he's going so hard into every board battle. And it's just, for a smaller guy, like, he's taking some abuse, especially in this later in this Ottawa series. Like, going to the front of the net, you saw people, like, cross-checking him in the face, just grabbing him, you know, slashing him, whatever, like, Brady Kachuk slashed his wrist there, there was a little moment there, he shook off his glove when he got to the bench, um, you wonder if he'll be able to keep it up, but, like, I I can't see it not happening, just based on what we've seen from him so far, you know what I mean, like, it looks like this is just the kind of player he is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the only time that I really talked about him floating was when he was in the zone and the puck was down deep. It didn't feel like he would get engaged, and maybe he was trying to look to leave the zone early in the SHL a little bit. But like, yeah, he when he like I like I said like when he gets involved in a board battle, I've been saying it for a long time. Like he is incredibly good at it, not only because of the strength that he's able to have, but also the ability that he has with like his footwork to be able to use his blade in a board battle. Like he gets the puck out of there a lot. He's in the top 75 right now out of the whole NHL for expected goals for. 
And, you know, the Canucks don't have a great expected goals for because they're giving up so many scoring chances. Niels Huglund is in the top 75 of every single NHL player for expected goals for percentage. I mean, he's been driving play. He's been playing strong defensively. He's been a perfect fit somehow alongside of Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson. And, man, I just I think that there's even more confidence to come from this kid. I think every game we see one little move that he tries to pull off, you know, like one little whatever it's a spinorama through his legs around a defenseman or something that he just tries to pull off. Like wait until this kid does his lacrosse goal. Cause it's going to happen, right? Like at some point this season, he's going to at least attempt the lacrosse goal. And he's so good at it that it's, you know, it's got a good chance of going in. That's something that his coach talked about in the SHL. When he does things like that, he's like, you know, you, you hate, you don't really like it as a coach who wants like to play the game, but he has such a high success rate at it that you kind of just let him do it. Like, Something's going to happen here pretty soon where this kid's going to have just an abundance of confidence in his own game and actually really start to open up because I think we're seeing splashes of it, like little moves here and there. But like this kid is just so creative the way that he works in the offensive zone. And I don't think that he's at a full 100% confidence. Like he's obviously confident in himself, right? Like he he knows that he's an NHL quality player specifically after seeing what he's been able to do through 10 games. But I think, like, I do think that there's more. Like, I think that people are going to be even shocked even more when he starts actually doing these things that are just, you know, that we've never seen before, right? Like, this is the type of player who can do things that we have just not seen done on a sheet of ice before. And I think that when he gets to that level, it's going to be even to a next extent. But what he's doing right now is just excellent. Like, he's he's night in and night out. Like, I think you can say through 10 games at 5-on-5 of driving play, like, I don't think there's been a better Vancouver Canuck at just driving the pace of play and controlling possession. Like, I don't think there's a better one than Niels Huglander so far. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think maybe that's been the most surprising thing. Like, I think his defensive game has surprised Travis the most. Like, I don't want to speak for him, but just based on what he's told us in all of the Zoom calls. Like, yes, he's not going to put him on the PK, which was an incredible question by Daniel Wagner last <laughs> night. Uh, when, uh, everybody on Twitter wants that too, right? Like, people yeah. on Twitter want him to kill penalties, and the Wags stepped up hard and just got shut down so quick for that. Oh, Almost it, as fast as Gemma Carson-Smith did when she asked about uh, the shots from Travis the other night. Yeah, which was nice. Travis went back and answered her question properly, which was a really nice gesture by him. But... Um, you know, I didn't hate the question from Gemma either. I think that's a very fair question. They're letting up so many shots. Um, but regardless, uh, yeah, that was that was really funny how Travis was. Uh, Travis just says, "Yeah, sorry, uh, <laughs> I'm not thinking of Hoglander on the PK. I didn't have that thought, and it was just so funny because Daniel's like, "Do you have that thought?" And Travis was like, "No, I don't have that thought." It was so <laughs> funny. He was just, yeah, he was. He was not having it, but I don't know. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, but even just for what surprised Travis the most, I think is that he can kind of deploy the Horvat line, how he did last year. And they're controlling it, right? Like they're still controlling play at five on five and they're able to give some tougher matchups because they can trust Hoglander defensively to an extent, right? Like he's a young player. They still want to shelter him. That much is very clear, but they're putting him in different situations than they did in game one of the season. Like, I think he's only proving that he can do it. Like, yes, you see a few mistakes from him. Like, last night, there was a moment where he wasn't covering his man at the point, and you could see he was kind of lost. And I think Bo Horvat was directing traffic for him and kind of pointing him in the right direction. But yeah, like, he's going to make mistakes every once in a while. I just think the benefit of having him in that spot and on Horvat's wing just like massively outweighs the negatives of having him in that spot so 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, Hoglander's been extremely impressive, and I think if I had to pick one thing that's impressed me the most, I'll go ahead and say his play away from the puck, because I knew what he was going to do with the puck. Yeah, absolutely. I think that seeing that he's averaging 14.09 right now, that's more than he's averaged in an SHL season over the three seasons that he's played. I mean, yeah, he's in a bigger role now in the NHL. He's playing with better players. He also still has an 11% shooting percentage. I mean, that's not great. Like we're seeing some of the other guys over the 20 right now, like Tyler Mott and Brandon Sutter, Brock Besser, like, there's there's still some more that could happen for Hoglander. I think that he's doing a great job around the net, uh, just getting involved and getting shots off. Like, that's the thing where this kid's going to be, I think, better than a lot of NHL players at, is when that puck is loose and everybody's battling for it and their sticks are going crazy. Like, that's when Hoglander gets his blade on, on the puck. Like, in those situations where he's just so quick with his stick, I think those are the situations where he's going to be better than, than a lot of NHL players at it. I think he does a good job on the board battles of doing that, just getting the puck onto his blade. And I think he does a great job of that around the net as well. And, yeah, like, we're not seeing a lot used in the second unit right now. But, I, like, when that second unit starts to get some time, I think you're really going to see Huglander start to pull out, you know, some more of his playmaking ability and certain things like that. But, Quads, he sits at seventh right now in Canucks scoring, I guess tied for sixth. Like, over the next few years here, I mean, he's on entry-level contract. He's getting paid pennies right now, so it's it's no cap problem at all for the Vancouver Canucks. If he's sitting at seven, eight, nine, like, is that kind of the spot where you see him sliding in for the next, hopefully, you know, five to seven years where he's a Vancouver Canuck? I think he's going to improve. I think his point totals are going to go up, and I think, hear me out, I think there's a world where we see Hoglander go up and play with Pedersen and find some more success. Now, I also think that his point totals are going to go up because Pod Colson's going to come, and I'm assuming, I don't know about you, but I'm assuming that Horvat's going to be deployed with Pod Colson and Hoglander. Like, how cool would that be for Bo? A guy who has had so much uncertainty on his wings over the past, like, three years, to finally get a guy like Hoglander. Like, honestly, Chris, I don't think Hoglander's leaving Horvat's line as long as the Lotto line and as long as Horvat's line continues to find success. Like, yes, I think the, eventually he'll end up playing with Pedersen down the line, but for now, it's not broken, and I don't see it breaking anytime soon. I think you keep Hoglander with Horvat, and then I think they're going to try Pod Colson in that spot too, maybe even toward the end of this year. And I know you have a prospect update on Pod Colson that we'll get to soon, but yeah, like I, I think it's, you know, Travis called it found money, right? Like that's how he described, well, I, I guess Drant set him up for it, but still, uh, found money for the Canucks and for Travis Green and his staff. Like, Having a guy that you can put in your top six when you thought it was going to be Jake Vertanen, you now have the luxury of putting Jake Vertanen in the press box. Like that, that's that's really good for the Canucks and really good for Travis Green. What do you think about Nils Huglander being fifteenth in ice time and average ice time per game? Now we'll go five on five and let me know what he is because he doesn't play penalty kill and they've taken a lot of penalties and he doesn't play much power play. That's a good point because there there's been times this year where he's. You know, he's been effective at just playing at 5-on-5 so much that you almost want to see that line more. But there was also times in this most recent game against the Senators where you saw Brandon Sutter hop out in his place in a defensive zone faceoff. Well, I mean, Brandon Sutter's elite. Haven't you Haven't you been watching the past few yeah, games? Guess, Brandon Sutter's yeah, gotta, elite now, haven't you heard? You gotta ride that bus, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think that they need to use that more because it's obviously what they have going on right now is working. Uh, having him on the second power play unit is something that I think is going to be excellent as well. Second power play unit's barely playing at times as well. So, like, I get yeah. it. It just feels like when you see this good coming from this kid 
And then I don't know. It's like it's I I'm liking his game a lot, but to see that he's he's sixth in ice time out of forwards at five on five this year. So I mean that's probably where he should be sitting. He's just behind Tyler Mott and Tanner Pearson uh, for <laughs> ice time. So I mean maybe maybe you'll see a little bit more of Hugliner, but I think that this feeling out process has just brought back more gold than anybody really could have imagined. Because yeah, yeah. he's. He's excellent. Like he is, he's better than I could have ever imagined he would have been in ten games into this season. So, you know, I haven't seen Lacrosse goal yet. Waiting for it, but it's going to come at some point. So let's uh, let's move to the defense pairings a little bit, Quads, because interesting wait, wait, situation. Okay, wait, go ahead. Okay, this is what I've been thinking of, Chris, and I want to get your opinion on it. Every time I watch Hoglander on the power play and they're a man short, like like the the other team is a man short, I'm thinking that the power play has to has to put Hoglander behind the net, right? Like, you have to, because if a team covers the guy at the, guys at the wall, right, Hoglander can pull off the Michigan and just score that way. Like, it gives them an entirely new mode of attack behind the net. Like, he can distribute the puck. We know he's good along the board, so if it's lost, he can go get it quick from behind the net. I think that's a good spot for him. I think because you have that, people have to respect the Michigan and they may not to start. So once they start doing that, that's going to open up a guy like Adam Gaudet and McEwen or whoever else is on the wing. Like that's going to buy a lot more time. And even for like a guy like Nate Schmidt at the point, like they're going to have a lot of options if Hoglander is able to play behind the net on the power play. And Every time I watch a Canucks power play, I'm just like, come on, set up behind the net, set up behind the net. Like, that's what I want to see Hoglander do, because it's just an entirely new plan of attack that teams can't really plan for. But you and I have seen it firsthand, Chris. Nils Hoglander can get that puck on his stick to pull off the Michigan lacrosse-style goal so quick. Like, I have never seen anybody do it as quick as him. Like, even Svechnikov was the first one to do it in the NHL. He can't get it on his stick as fast as Hoglander can. That's just a statement of fact, okay? You watch Hoglander do it in practice. He can get it on his stick faster than anybody I've seen in my entire life, okay? He can do it in the blink of an eye. Well, think about the goal that he scored at the World Juniors. Like, like, how fast was that in full speed coming around the net? Like, nobody can do it like Hoglander. But, like, to add to that, that's not only the point of attack. I mean, his playmaking ability from that spot is exciting too. I mean, you're, if you're on the second unit, you're looking at, you know, potentially Adam Gaudet on a one-timer, Tanner Pearson in front of the net in the Horvat spot, or whoever else they put out there, Zach McEwen as a net front. Like, his passing, if he's able to just get it onto that blade for easy tap-ins, like, I do, I do like the idea a lot of having him behind the net, not only for the Michigan, but... That would be that's kind of just like the added bonus to I think what he can do as a playmaker back there and and then you wonder like could the power play run a lot through that area like could it be a power play that a lot of the puck distribution goes down low to Huglander to Godet to Pearson moving the puck together but the the, the the unfortunate thing is like we just haven't seen that second unit because the first unit's getting like two minutes of power play time on every two minute power play so like. You know, we just haven't seen a chance for the second unit setup, which isn't a bad thing. The Canucks can have one of the best first power play units in the league, and if they want to take two minutes, have at it. I'm down for that. Like, but yeah, I think when we start to see the second unit, it's going to be kind of fun to watch the second unit develop a little bit. Oh, absolutely, and they're going to get more and more chemistry. And I, I really like that Godet's back in the lineup. I think, you know, I, I think Travis was kind of bang on in his assessment, saying that Jake Vertanen just didn't have his best game to start the year, and that. They had to go with someone else, and I think Godet's performed well. I think he's going to get better. I think he's going to get more comfortable. We know he was dealing with that stomach issue. Um, and yeah, like I, I don't know. I think Godet on the wing is kind of interesting because 
you know, if you told me before the season, Chris, that Brandon Sutter was going to be this team's third line center, I would have just groaned really loudly on air. I would have been like, are you kidding me? And I think you would have had the same reaction. So for Gaudette to be kind of moved to the wing now, it, it kind of opens up like that third line center role. And then we see a guy like Cole Lind in Utica skating with the top St. Louis prospect, Sam Am- Amas, I think his name is. I was just editing Corey's article. That's how I know this. But yep. he's be- Cole Lind is being put into his position to succeed. And well, he's Utica, got like, he's playing on, on the yeah, first he's, line. He's got him on one side and Bercy on the other. Exactly. And he's playing center. So can Cole Lind become that guy? Because uh, this is what's interesting to me about Cole Lind. And uh, Corey talked to Ryan Johnson this morning. Um, and he said in that conversation that... Ryan Johnson and the Comets really want Cole to become the play driver and they want the offense to run through him rather than him just being a complimentary piece as he was last year and as he has been in the past. They really want him to take that next step and become the play driver and run the offense through him, which I find really interesting because if if he's able to play a solid defensive game and he can pitch in on offense, that's your third line center right there, is it not? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think that the move that they made last year, putting him there on the power play, might have just been like an initial step for that. And I don't think they, I think they played him at two games last year at center. So like, it's something that he has done. He didn't do a lot of it in Kelowna when he's in the WHL. But if that's like, that's a good job of development, in my opinion. Like having, I think I tweeted that when Corey first tweeted there earlier in the week. But like, if you get Cole Lynn to play center and he's able to do it, that's huge because... A lot of people, they, they saw Cole Lynn's play at the WHL and they said, okay, this guy, can, like his shot is his big thing. But like from watching him last year, specifically on the power play when he was playing center, like I think Cole Lynn's best asset is his playmaking. I think that's the best part of his game is the ability to playmate, like make perfect passes into small little narrow alleys and he's able to just fit the puck through those areas. Like Cole Lind is a perfect playmaker to play center. And if he's able to keep gritty and be annoying, like he was in his second year in the AHL, like hell yeah. Like if he's able to be a gritty type of player and he looks bigger, like he looked bigger at camp. I thought that he put on some weight. He was skating around the ice pretty well. If this move to center is huge and we're going to have to chat with Corey here pretty soon. I might have to fire up the old uh, riding the bus segment yes. these next couple weeks here. I know people want it. Uh, so we, we're going to have to get Corey back on here to chat about it because yeah, I think that this move for Cole into center is exactly what you said. It's it's a great spot to set him up to develop into that role as long as as long as Cole Lynn doesn't get picked by Seattle somehow in the expansion draft, which seems <laughs> like he seems like the odd man out if you look at who the Canucks have to protect. But that's something we could talk about in the off season for sure. Um, sorry to get back to it a little bit um, with Jake Vertanen and Adam Gaudet. Like I I like it right now because there's options, right? Like there is an option to go with Jake for and Maybe he gives you a good game. If he doesn't, the options are there for Adam Gaudet. Maybe he gives you a good game. Maybe he doesn't. Like, the option, I think, is the best part for the Vancouver Canucks right now. But for you, do you go back to Jake for or do you stick with Adam Gaudet? Like, was Adam Gaudet good enough in that game to keep him in the lineup? Because Travis doesn't like to mess with a winning lineup, right? Like, that's that's something that he doesn't like to do. But he did that to bring in yep. Adam Gaudet over Jake for but did Adam Gaudet have a game similar to what Jake Vertanen did? Because before Jake Vertanen got taken out, that game he played, in the 10 minutes of ice time he got, there was not one scoring chance against the Vancouver Canucks. So yeah, Jake didn't do anything in the offensive zone. 
but the Senators weren't able to get one scoring chance in that 10 minutes of ice time that he had before they took him out. So do you think they go back to Gaudet, or do you think they go to Jake Vertanen in this one-game little mini-series now uh, against the Winnipeg Jets? Okay, I get they didn't get a shot off, but how much of that was due to the astute defensive play of Jake Vertanen? Because I, I didn't see anything in that game where I was like, oh, there's Jake being so solid on defense. I don't know, like... Like, I get that's what the numbers say, but I'm just, I'm I'm a little skeptical if, like, maybe he was on the ice with some good players or they were just able to control the offensive zone and the defense really stepped up. But, man, like, I, I think Travis was kind of right in taking him out. And it was, yeah, it's a winning lineup, which he doesn't like to tweak with, which I think just speaks to how much Travis was not happy with Jake's game. And he just said, like, I don't think Jake's had his best game and I think he needs a reset. Like, for him to do that when the team was winning with him in the lineup, I get he, they didn't have a scoring chance against, and Travis looks at all that. He does. He's an analytics coach. But, man, like, I think you've got to stick with Gaudet, don't you? If if that's the case and you're that disappointed with Jake, I think you have to stick with Gaudet. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting situation because, like, this is something that Travis could do to light a fire under Jake, right? Like, this could totally be a thing that lights a fire under guys. Says like, you need to get going. You should be the starter. We're paying you $2.5 million, but instead we're going to put this guy in that we just signed on a one-year deal, who, don't get me wrong, Adam Gaudet has a lot of promise to be a good offensive player in this league, but Jake's the one that the organization has invested a lot more time into, right? And I think yep. that maybe this could be a thing where they go right back to Jake. Like, I think, I think we might see Jake against the Jets, just because I feel like you put him in, and if he gives you nothing, then it's Adam Gaudet's turn, right? Like, then Adam Gaudet jumps him in the depth chart as a third-line winger. Because I think you say, like, well, you know, Gaudet was fine, but can you be good, Jake? Like, go in for this game against the Jets, a big, strong team who has a lot of guys that are, you know, big bodies that can skate. Jake's a big body, he can skate, but, like, can you give us a full effort? I think that's what they're going to see. And, like, I think they're going to go back to Jake. I think for that reason, they're going to go back to Jake uh, in the Winnipeg game. And then I think from there, like, if he doesn't show well against Winnipeg, I, you could you could seriously think that maybe the next five games of this road trip, if Adam Gaudet is just fine in each game, they could ride Adam Gaudet every time and Jake could be sitting for the next five games. But I think they go back to him as soon as potentially Winnipeg. But if not, they'll go back to him at some point because one guy that's going to be taken out of the lineup back and forth, it, it is like an Adam Gaudet-Jake Rutanen battle right now, right? And that's good to have. Like, you want these guys to be battling against each other for who is the best third-line winger. So... I think it's a good situation. Like I said, to start this conversation about this, like the option is good, but I, I, I think that it's more of a challenge Jake to do it, but like they've invested so much time into him. Right. And it's like, I just, how much more can you invest? Right? Like it's a tough situation, I guess. Yeah. You know, who's really impressed me and kind of, it's interesting that we, we were talking about a Godet Vertanen swap there, but Zach McEwen, has somehow found himself as an NHL regular. Like, it's starting to look like he's a guy that... And yeah, like, Travis asked about it again last night, and he says, this is a guy that we know what we have in him. Like, he's exactly. going to bring grit, and he, you know, he sticks up for his teammate there and fights... Who did he fight? Was it Kachuk? It was, right? Yeah, yeah, he stuck up for uh, Godet and fought Kachuk. Godet. Yeah, exactly. So you know what you have in him, and I think, you know, Stefan Roguet wrote a really, really good good piece for Canucks Army this week uh, really shortly before he was put in the lineup but he basically said Zach McEwen needs to be an NHL regular like that's what needs to happen and then it happens and he performs pretty well so yeah it's exactly I, I what think, you said yeah. God. It's like you just said it like 
you know what you Travis said it. I think you're just talking about the quote, but you're bang on. Like you know what you're getting with Zach McEwen in the lineup, right? Like you yep. don't know what you're getting with Adam Gaudet and Jake Vertanen. Like you you know what you can get, but you don't know exactly what you're gonna get. And I think Adam Gaudet had such a bad bad start to the season with being scored on at even strength that that's kind of why he found himself in the press box and Zach McEwen coming in because you know what you're going to get from Zach. Like he's, he's going to go out there. He's going to bang bodies. If anybody wants to fight, he's going to be the guy there. Like I tweeted it right when I heard it happening because right before that Kachuk and McEwen fight, like Kachuk was getting pissed, all pissed off in people's faces, throwing stuff around. I forget what he was doing or who he was fighting against, but like you could hear Zach like screaming at him from the bench. And I think I tweeted it out. I was like, Zach McEwen is giving it to Brady Kachuk right now. And then they fought like within 10 minutes right after that. So it was like, you know exactly what you're getting from him. And having that guy in your lineup, you know, playing whatever it is, eight to 10 minutes that he plays, like at least you know what you're getting, right? And I think that's what's going to give him a spot over having Jake and Adam Gaudet both in the lineup. I think having Zach in there as a, as a sure fit and knowing exactly what you're going to get is the right move. What? What was he saying to him? Like, did you hear it? Can you say it on the podcast? I can't. I can't say much of it because, like, most of it is just like you know, you hear the moment you're you're talking crap. You're you're saying a lot of stuff. Like, there wasn't like a sentence that I could give you back, but it was a lot of a uh, lot of uh, crap talking. I'll I'll just say that. Like a lot of swear words that I can't say on the show and calling yes. people a, a you know what and a you know how shove it you know where. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'll leave. Yeah, like a lot of swear words. I'll say that, but like he was giving it to him. Like he was screaming. He was leaning over the bench screaming to him. Beagle was right beside him. Uh, it was good to see. Like because you don't see that. We haven't seen that from Canucks over a long time. And and I think having a guy like Zach McEwen in your lineup is just such a. It just gives such a different dynamic feel to the lineup, knowing that you have that guy. Right, like knowing that you have that guy who, if that team wants to mess around, this guy's going to go out there and throw bombs because like. Man, you watch every Zach McEwen fight, the dude just throws. Like, he throws so hard in every single punch. Like, you love it. He's going to be a fan favorite on this Canucks team if he stays here for a long time. He's 24 years old. He's a big dude. Like, I I love Zach McEwen in the lineup. I think it's a thing that the Canucks need to keep doing, specifically until Jake and and Adam Gaudet both get going at the same time. You, You have to leave McEwen in and keep one of those two out, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Also, before we close out here, Imagine getting rattled by Jay Beagle. Like that's how that's how soft Brady <laughs> Kachuk is. Yeah, yeah, that's what a day for the Kachuks. We won't get into it because we oh. don't have too much league talk here. But um, yeah. yeah, we've been going for quite a while here. We got an interview to close this thing out too. But I'll give a quick prospects update. I'm just gonna read the the tweet that I sent out, kind of about it. Um, so looking at the prospects, uh, Pod Colson back in action on Saturday morning. McDonough is back with Northeastern. They're back after a little bit of a COVID scare. They're back on Tuesday uh, to play Boston College, I think. So a big game or maybe BU. Uh, but one of those teams they're playing against them. Uh, Zlodiev is going to be out for a little bit, uh, 10 to 14 days from what I heard. Um, just an undisclosed injury for Zlodiev right now. Uh, talk to Victor Pearson. Uh, he's going to continue to skate with the SHL team. And, like, he's playing in the Hockey Etan, which is the third division of the Swedish Hockey Leagues. And, you know, he's just too good for that league. Like, he's he's he makes it look so easy. So, uh, 
I just I'm hoping that we can see more of Pearson at the SHL, but he hasn't skated a minute yet. But he's skating with the team, practicing with them. I think his time will be coming soon. And if he does hop right into the SHL after just being drafted, that's a huge win for the Canucks with a seventh round pick. Speaking of seventh round picks, Arvid Kosmar still nursing a shoulder injury. Could be a while away, but I don't think surgery is going to be required. It's more just a banged up shoulder. Uh, And he told me that he's confident in the doctors for his rehab. He might be coming on the show here pretty soon too. Uh, But he said not while he's injured. So that should be coming up soon. And then the final thing with Pod Colson. That like just dropped today. Vasily Podkolzin was named to the Russian national team for the Swedish Games, which is a, a little four-day tournament in Sweden, which is like a bunch of the European teams. And and this is bad news because it's great to see that he's made you know got the invite to play for Russia. That's great, but the fact that they're going through with these Swedish Games, which is a four-nation or, or maybe a six-nation tournament, it's all European nations that come and play in this tournament. The fact that they're going through with this tournament really opens up the door for the world championships, which a lot of people thought were going to be canceled. But like, man, if they're going through with the Swedish games, which is not a huge tournament for us, at least in North America, it just, it worries me that they are going to go through with the world championships. And then the fact that pod Colson's already on this lineup for this tournament would really open up the door for him to be on the lineup for the world championships, which means that, you know, he's potentially not here or able to come to the Canucks until June 6th, which is deep into the playoffs at that point. So, not great news, but I guess good news for him if Russia decided to select him for that tournament. But we'll see what happens with the World Championships, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That 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 is interesting that they would proceed with that tournament because I think, I think it kind of sets a precedent that yeah they might continue with the World well, Championships. We'll have to wait and, and see though for sure. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like Benning's talked about it that he didn't think that he said he would be shocked. I think the actual quote that that Benning said was that they haven't canceled yet, but I'll be very surprised if they have the world championships. Well, I wonder if he's very surprised that they're going through with the Swedish games, right? Like, you know, the world championship is a lot bigger. They went through the world juniors. They obviously had their problems at the world juniors. So it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, it's definitely a story that's going to continue to go for a little bit, but uh, I guess we'll wrap things up there. Not too much else to add. I know we we said we're going to talk about the defense a little bit, but we can save that for the midweek show next week. We'll have a lot more to talk about, but you know, seeing Olio Levy score his first goal of the NHL career. That was pretty great. Uh, anything else you wanted to add before we close out here with the interview with Ian Quads? No, let's get to it. Absolutely. So we appreciate you guys joining us for another week. Uh, for David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber, and thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Now for all you betting folks out there, I was joined by Ian McMillan from Odd Shark and... Uh, I don't know. We didn't really talk about one thing. We just talked about a bunch of different things from Super Bowl bets to uh, prop bets to NHL betting on the rise and and maybe why we're seeing so many more people show their bets on Twitter. So we'll close things out. Thanks, guys, for listening. And this is our conversation with Ian McMillan from Odd Shark. All right, guys, joining me now to close out the episode. I've been seeing a ton of it on my social media lately. It seems like everybody is betting, and there's not a better site out there right now to get some tips and stuff like that. So let's get straight to the source. Ian McMillan from Odd Shark is joining me. Ian, how you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, my friend. We're just uh, heading into Super Bowl week. I couldn't couldn't be more excited. I, I want to throw some money on heads for the coin flip. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, betting on the coin flip in the Super Bowl is is for some reason one of the more popular prop bets on the Super Bowl. But I mean, it's by definition you're literally betting on a coin flip. So, uh, but I actually think tails, as weird as it is, has actually hit 
uh, quite a bit more often than heads. So if you want to back the trend, I'd go tails. Okay, you heard it here first, folks. Tails is winning. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to throw some money down on that for sure. But something I want to get into, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or just people are winning more maybe on social media, but like, are you seeing a growth in sports betting through this pandemic, I guess, over the last little bit here? Yeah, I mean, I definitely am. I think the biggest contributor to that is is the fact it's it's starting to become uh, kind of more widespread, popular, and legal throughout the throughout mm. the states. I mean, that, that's definitely our biggest uh, uh, demographic would be down uh, in in the United States and America. But uh, as things are, it's kind. Of, I mean, it just got legalized where in like Virginia or something this last past week. Yep. It seems like almost every week it's getting legalized in a new state. So uh, obviously, a lot more people down in the states than than the, than there are up here in Canada. So. Uh, as it explodes down there, you see, you're starting to see it more and more, and uh, I like it. I, I, I love it. I, I, I've been betting on sports for ever since I was able to, since I was 18 or 19 years old, whatever the age is. Um, and it's always been kind of like a taboo thing in sports, but I, I, I don't really think it ever should be. So I'm, I'm glad it's starting to get some mainstream traction here. <laughs> That's good. I remember being like a, a young kid going over to my grandpa's house, and every Canucks game he would go meet up with the neighbor at the like fence there. And it was $5 on whoever they wanted to pick. Was it Canucks <laughs> or the other guys? So, yeah, I think I was betting a little bit before 18, but don't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> at the well, same I mean, th- that's exactly the kind of betting that people should do. Just 5 bucks, just for fun. Make the game a little <laughs> bit more exciting. I mean, that at the end of the day, uh, sports betting should always, in my opinion, be for entertainment mm-hmm. and not for uh, not with the goal of trying to make money doing it because that's, that's a lot harder than people think. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's kind of the way that I'm going with it right now. Lots of prop bets is kind of what I do, just because you know you try and have some fun with it. I know that um, you guys at Odd Shark obviously have been covering a lot of a lot of articles, a lot of videos. I see that you guys are putting out. So maybe maybe you can just walk some people through who haven't used Odd Shark before. What is the website? What information can we find there? Yeah, so we're basically, I mean, one way to look at us is, is that we're the ESPN of sports betting. So we got articles, sports betting news, uh, there's picks, there's some predictions, there's there's some database things you can dive through if you want to look at uh, some history of some sports betting results for certain sports teams. Um, basically, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to part with your money and bet on a sport uh, or on a game or on an event, uh, at least you should educate yourself a little bit, um, find out kind of what's what's the better side, what's the history between some matchups, and that's kind of what Odd Shark's all about. Um, you obviously don't need to dive into it as much as professional sports bettors do down in Vegas, but uh, if you're just looking for some basic information, maybe some predictions, maybe maybe you want to get uh, a pick from one of the guys who, who writes articles or our supercomputer, uh, maybe you don't trust your own gut feeling behind a pick. Um, that's basically what Odd Shark is. Uh, it's it's everything you need uh, for betting on sports information. If you're just curious what the odds are for a certain game, you can look all that stuff um, uh, up at, at Odd Shark as well. So like I said, it's kind of uh, a sports betting version of, of ESPN. It's basically everything that you need to know to uh, bet on sports. And I love the ticker up top as well, just kind of showing. Is that showing where the trends are going with the bets? Yes, that's showing, uh, yeah, exactly, that, that's showing where the line movement is with the bets, so uh, usually, um, for people who don't know, I mean, if 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 uh, a team is like a three-point favorite and a lot of uh, money is coming in on that team to cover that spread, uh, sports books will sometimes adjust the lines and then maybe move them to a three-and-a-half or a four-point favorite, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that kind of information is available there as well. So I'm going to give you my prop bet that I, I've been in love with. It's been making me decent money so far, and it's it's normally picking a team in the NHL to win by two. Like, I'm getting, you know, plus 900, plus 1,000 sometimes on that. But what's one of the ones that you secretly like, I guess, for prop bets that people that want to, you know, maybe help, uh, maybe not make money, but help cover some of their losses a little bit? <laughs> 
Yeah, a, a prop bet that, that I dabble in a little bit with the NHL. I know, and I know in some, uh, there's some groups of people that absolutely love it. And that's the first period over under. Mm. Um, so it's usually set at a goal and a half. And there's some teams that, um, if you look over their history, like I, I believe this season, it's the Boston Bruins, the under on their first period goal total um, is something like nine and one in their last 10 games or something like that. Mm. Um, and there was this trend, I think it was two years ago, is the Chicago Blackhawks. They hit the over on their first period goal total it was something insane like 16 games in a row or something so uh you can see some crazy trends with those first period uh, over under bets so that's that's definitely one i, I kind of dabble in and keep an eye on throughout the nhl season and what are you starting to see with trends with nhl betting because it feels like you know i think in, in a lot of circles you know football basketball have been huge but it seems like the nhl is kind of stepping its game up with their betting and i guess i've seen a lot more certain prop bets available on websites yep. whether it's bodog or sports interaction some of these canadian ones that people have access to but what are you kind of seeing with the growth of hockey now in betting yeah a big one that's starting to become more popular is is prop bets out for who's going to score in a game that's always a, an extremely popular one i'm actually noticing that this season as well um some i mean and you can get these players some of the best players in the league at plus money so mm. so you're more than doubling your bet uh, for some of the best players uh, in, in in the league to score. Um, another thing as far as trends that I'm noticing this NHL season is a, is a lot of just full game overs. So for people for who are brand new to betting, haven't bet on it, you can bet on a certain team to win. Another uh, kind of bet you can you can make is, is called a bet on the total. So it's just how many goals are scored in the game. It's usually set around five, six, six and a half. Uh, and I don't know if it's a lack of fans is contributing to this or it's just the way the NHL has been played this season. Mm. Um, but a lot of overs have been hitting, especially, uh, funny enough, uh, Vancouver Canucks. I know, I think their last two games went under against the Senators, but before that, I think they were like 8 and 1 or 9 and 1 on the over. A lot of goals in Canucks games this season. So, uh, I, yeah, like I said, I don't know if it's, it's because lack of fans or causing teams to not play as good defensively or something, but uh, a lot of goals being scored this NHL season. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you love uh, goal scoring like a Ray Ferraro type, you, you're just loving what's going on this season. Yeah. And, uh, I want to get back to Oddshark a little bit more here, too, because one of the things that you know is really beneficial for people that will use Oddshark is seeing the different odds and the different spreads that I guess that you can find on different websites uh, is that kind of just like the main concept of what Odd Shark can really bring to you as well along with you guys is bringing out articles and bringing out you know trends that are happening but one of the big things for me is like looking at I'm looking at it right now there's different website that'll have the Canucks at plus 5,000 for the Stanley Cup when another website has them at plus 2,000. Yeah, exactly. That, that that's a great point. It's always a good idea to have an account at a few different sports books because sports books will will vary their odds. Uh, even uh, game for game, you might you might get slightly different odds. But that example you kind of brought up futures. So if you're betting on a team to win the Stanley Cup, that's where you see a big difference um, in odds between different sports books, and especially something for something like the Stanley Cup, where after you place the bet, you're gonna um, have to wait a few months to see whether or not it cashes. Um, and usually those kinds of bets are, are bigger since it's a longer, longer wait, uh, bigger payoff. Um, you definitely want to get the best bang for your buck. So mm -hmm. that's definitely something that Odd Shark shows. Um, if you want to bet on the Canucks to win the Stanley Cup, uh, why would you bet on one website when it's 20 to 1 where you can get the exact same bet for 50 to 1 somewhere else? So um, instead of manually having to look up every single uh, website uh, that you can bet on and, and trying to find out which one offers the best odds, you can just look right there on Oddshark and uh, we'll let you know uh, which, uh, which, which sports book is offering the best bang for your buck for that kind of bet. 
Absolutely. I'm looking at uh, some Super Bowl prop bets now because I just I just look at these and every every single year some of them are absolutely hilarious. Uh, you know, I'm just looking at like the Puppy Bowl winners and <laughs> you know whether the MVP is a male or female of that and who's going to be seen after the national anthem. Is there one prop bet that you have maybe seen over the years that just kind of you know made you chuckle at what you've seen? Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, I mean, the one that's always bet on the most, and and it gets insane. I mean, the past few years, I've been watching with some friends and some other uh, guys at Odd Shark, and like they're they're standing there with a stopwatch, um, timing it. And that's the length of the national anthem. Out of all the silly props, and like you said, there's like an unlimited amount of things you can bet on on the Super Bowl every year. The one that gets the most action out of all of them is the length of the national anthem. Um, I, I I would never recommend this, but I actually know a, a professional sports better who makes a living doing this, and he bets thousands of dollars every year on the Super Bowl on the at the length of the national anthem, and he's done well uh, with it recently. So that that one always uh, that one I find that one always funny. I, I I mean I put like five bucks on it just for a joke, but uh, it's always funny because pe- people will go back and they'll they'll try to watch uh, if that person is saying a national anthem at a previous sporting event, and they'll time those ones to see oh well they sing it in a minute and 52 seconds this time yeah. so uh it sounds like it's gonna go over or under here so uh that's always a fun one and it's definitely uh, i i think it's the most popular out of all the the funny prop bets for the super bowl yeah absolutely i'm just reading a couple now how many times will bill belichuck be mentioned in the broadcast over under on one on that i mean i feel like the over i feel like you're gonna get belichick's name mentioned <laughs> once or twice there for sure yeah, I would agree with that, but but I mean, yeah, like you said, there's 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 anything that you could possibly think of that uh, to bet on on the Super Bowl. There's literally hundreds of different options. Uh, so anything that you could imagine, there's there's probably a sports book out there that's offering odds on it. Absolutely. Well, as we close out here, Ian, um, just maybe if you just want to speak a couple words on what Odd Shark can do for somebody who's already been betting in sports and just hasn't really checked out Odd Shark yet, why should they come over to the website? Yeah, I mean, a, a big reason, like you said, is is if you have been betting on sports for a while, you, you definitely want to make sure that you're when you're betting on an event, you want to make sure you're getting the best odds possible. That's something that we offer as well. Also, it's always just good to get different perspectives. One of the things that we do is we have a, uh, a, a show on YouTube on Wednesdays and Fridays where myself uh, and two of my coworkers, Andrew Avery and Joe Osborne, break down our best bets for, uh, for the game that night, uh, and we break down our, our reasoning behind the bets. Um, and even if you are a sports better and, and you feel like you have a pretty good grasp on it, it's never a bad idea to uh, to hear some different perspectives and, and some bets that other people have and why they like those bets. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all in this together. It's kind of us against the sports books. So uh, we're all just trying to help each other out in the world of sports betting and uh, hopefully uh, try to win a couple bucks while uh, making uh, watching sports a little bit more entertaining. Absolutely. And final question for you before I let you go, Ian. Your biggest long shot win? Like, have you ever pulled one out that just was like such crazy odds, but you ever got that one and just nailed it? Uh, man, uh, there's there's been a couple. I mean, usually a, a thing that, that that's pretty popular is, is parlays, and w- where where you, you load up on like five, six different games, and mm-hmm. you can always get a big payout on that. My biggest futures win, where it's just one team to win a certain championship um, or something along those lines, was a, a few years back. The last 
World Cup, the FIFA World Cup, when mm-hmm. France won it. I bet on them pre-tournament. I think they're around eight to one, nine to one. So as far as a, a one single bet, uh, that's always the one that uh, sticks out in my mind. But uh, throughout the years, I've hit a couple of big parlays as well. But uh, yeah, my, my biggest outright so far is probably France to win the World Cup. But hopefully, I can top that with something a little bit higher than uh, <laughs> ten to one next time. Most definitely, yeah. The parlays are killing me right now. It's just like you get to there, and there's like three games going on, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm good till this point. I've nailed like <laughs> nine games. And then you just get one of those final three just screws you over. So I actually had one last night. No matter what happens when you bet a parlay, in my experience, if it's three games, five games, eight games, ten games, it always just seems to come down to one (laughs) that hurts you every time. (laughs) Absolutely. I think I got, uh, there was a couple and I was this thing, I was like, man, like I've nailed nine, I got three to go. And one of them was my Canucks. I'm like, it's going to be the Canucks that let me down here. And it wasn't them last night. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, we'll keep rolling with it. Appreciate you jumping on here, Ian, and uh, kind of breaking down what uh, Odd Shark is all about and how people can kind of get started with it. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're glad to be partnered up with Odd Shark with our podcast as well. And appreciate you jumping on here to, uh, to spit some facts about the website as well. Sounds good, my friend. Uh, you take care, and we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 